0: This is Outside the Vines, a podcast that fuses three big names from the world of sports, their love of wine, and their thirst for sports. For the video version of this podcast, check out our YouTube channel. There you get to enjoy the visual side of our podcast with next-level infographics, and you get to witness the reactions from our guests and hosts while they taste the wines. All right, let's get to it. Here are your hosts for Outside the Vines, Ted Robinson, Glenn Parker, and Ashley Adamson. Well, this is
1: one that uh, we've been looking forward to on Outside the Vines for a while. And I've got to tell you something. You know, the cost to get Rob Davis on this show, pretty intense. You know, Rob's an elusive guy, and he kept holding out, and the price tag kept going up and up and up. we (laughs) finally got, we corralled him. Rob Davis, over 40 years making the incredible, the brilliant Cabernet at Jordan. And I'm holding up here, Rob. Uh, the 1983 cat Ooh. you so graciously gifted my daughter for her 21st birthday. Yep, and the, you know what? Amazing when I look at the label, 12.8 percent alcohol. <laughs> and, then, and 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 <clears throat> that
2: wasn't by design. It's not like we start out and go, "Okay, we're going to make a 12.8 percent alcohol." It just, it ends up that way because like I, said, I, I remember when, uh, gosh, when I was 22 years old and I started working with Andre and he was 76 and, uh, I just was impressed with, but we'd always start out in the vineyard in the morning and we were at harvest time. He was tasting me, just taste the fruit and tell me what you think. And I said, well, it tastes, tastes ripe. And he goes, but is it mature? And I said, what do you mean? is isn't the same thing, ripeness, maturity. And he goes, no, he says, you're a young man. He says, you're, you're, you're ripe, but you're not necessarily mature. And I said, oh, and I, I understood exactly what he meant because you know, at that age, I hadn't had much experience and and much breeding and understanding of things. And, and, um, as I got more experience with Andre and I, there's so many Andre stories I could tell you, but, one of the, he'd always show up at nine o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning and a lot of people that know Andre goes, you know, he smoked cigarettes. I said, yeah, but he smoked Carltons. I said, that was my friends who smoked said that's more like an aerobic exercise because the amount of filters are on a Carlton, but it was more <laughs> habit. So he'd have a couple of cigarettes and then his coffee would be so dang hot. And I said, Andre, why do you have to be? Because I always have to make it fresh for him, scalding hot. And he's, and you know, he was born in Moscow. And he says, "Well, where you? If you know where I come from, you appreciate warm things." So <laughs> that was kind of the start of our morning. And if I, you know, he'd ask me how things were going, and I said, "Oh, gosh, Andre, you know, there's everything's great. You know, the wines that the Mount Latte went through, fermentation is great. Everything's feeling wonderful." And he goes, "Oh, my dear sir, there's always." There's always, you know, clouds behind the sun. There's always, you know, a tense of rain. And I said, oh, okay. So he kind of bring me down. And then some days he'd walk in and he goes, how are things going? And I go, oh, God, Andre, I don't even know where to start. There's so many problems I've got faced right through. And he goes, oh, don't worry. There's always a rainbow behind the rain. You know, I said, oh. And then finally, then we go up and taste. And I finally said, you know, Andre, I think I figured it out. I said, when I'm really down, you bring me up. When I'm up, you bring me down because you want, you don't want my emotions to interfere with the decisions we're making on the wine. And he's just like, that I means it took you four years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just had a laugh, but you know, there was our travels together in France and, um, again, and I, I'll, I'll probably say this so many times where everybody gets tired of, but, the vineyard is so important to the key of the wines and whether it's 12, eight, 14, 8 or whatever, that vineyard should speak to the quality and characteristic of the wine that we had, a, I was with a Bernard, uh, from Claudeval. And you know, again, he was kind of, he was really at special status because his father was the, the, the technical director at, at Liffey, And that meant a lot because he had that wonderful French accent. And we did some tastings of his wine with some Lynch the same vintage. And I picked out the Lynchbodge, he did too, we thinking that was an apple wine. And turned out that his seventy six Clotobot was the was the one that actually tasted more like a Bordeaux, but it was so beautiful, so elegant. And he says, you know, this wine is only twelve and a half percent alcohol. And that was, you know, this theme that we're talking about. These wines don't have to be over the top to have this elegance and finesse and also ageability. This was a 76 also like the Jordan. We were tasting that was just still had a lot of youth to it. And I think a lot of is the way he provided that balance. So again, going back to the vineyard, his fruit comes from the Stag's Leap area. And if you remember Stag's Leap, that was the wine in the Paris tasting in 76 that was beat all the other wines out the top Bordeaux's out. It was a Stag's Leap Cabernet and Claude Oz vineyard also shared that, that part of the vineyard. And I, I could just smell it. I could smell the terroir and then I said, my God, this, this has a characteristic of Stag's Leap. And that's how I, my training with Andre, my first time in, in France with him and we're going to uh, a winery in the Loire, in Sancerre specifically, of uh, Didier Dagonal, who makes this just a killer Sauvignon Blanc called Selex. And Selex means the, the type of soil that they have there. So I didn't know any of this. And I'm driving along, and Andre says, Stop. And I said, well, Why are we stopping? And he gets out and he crawls underneath the fence and tells me to come with him. And I crawl under the fence too. And I'm, now I'm trespassing. I said, What are we doing? And he puts his hand in the soil. And he smells it. He goes, you'll smell this in the wine. I said, I'm going to smell dirt. And he goes, yes, you're going to smell the terroir. And so I smelled it. And sure enough, when they poured the Selex, I just, oh my God, that wine was incredible fruit. But I could smell the limestone slate soil that was in that wine. And so I learned this from him where... I can't, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I can tell you so many times where I'd be talking to winemakers and I describe the soil and how do you know? And I said, cause I can smell it. That's what I learned from Andre. I was at Cortina in 2019 at a, a wine festival in Italy, all these winemakers. I smell this wine. I said, God, this is beautiful volcanic soil at a pretty good elevation. He goes, how do you know that? And I said, it just smells like it. And then he goes, well, then you got to try this one. And I said, ah, this one's close to the ocean, isn't it? And he goes, yes, it's much farther down. And those are the things that I learned... At which we all can learn too if, if, if we have that same opportunity, but there's a characteristic of that the soils play and that inglenook that you're talking about has that soil that Andre was talking about when he was working with uh, uh, the, the winemaking there. So this is the fun of it. And I think that's what, as a winemaker, we're trying to capture the climate, the combination of soil and how it works with that particular cultivar in this case, Cabernet, um, I remember there was a- All right, so
1: hang on one second, Rob. I want, I want to get it. this Glenn, who has been a, a great wine guide for me through the years. We're talking about Andre Chelychev, who was your mentor, Rob. If anybody doesn't know, if you've stumbled into this, don't know what I know about him. He was born in Moscow and he becomes a master of Bordeaux in California. How the heck that happened is unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm interested, Glenn, with all your background and your
3: work in Mondavi. did you ever meet Andre? I never met Andre. Of course I know his story. Um, I have a great affinity for BV wines, uh, going back through history. I've been able to taste back into the, I had a couple of late sixties that were past their prime. They weren't great, but I had some seventies that were in, in, unbelievable. Um, and it's just a mixed bag of how they were kept. Uh, so uh, he is one of those names that you, that it's like a spider in Napa. In Napa, he, he he pops up all over the place. That web is everywhere with with Andre Chilashev, and he is one of those guys. It's the wine I brought tonight, Ted. I don't think you know. Am I allowed to show it? I think I will. Um, I chose an Inglenook '86 Reunion that I pour, and I believe he actually consulted on this wine um, yes. um, prior prior to him. I think after this, in the late 80s, I don't remember where he went after that, but I believe he helped out with this one. If not this one, maybe just before, but the style is the same, the Daniel Lale style. So let the soil speak for itself. Um, As you said, Rob, the soil... The vineyard, it's all about the farm. It's not, you know, the, 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 the winemaker lets that happen. And, uh, you're talking, Ted, you weren't on, but, you know, this is a 13% wine, wine and it's not a giant bomb. And that's why yeah. I love it so much. And as you know, Ted, we've talked about this many times. I am and, not a cocktail wine guy.
2: And Glenn, I got to ask what first thing I ask if somebody says, I got this great, what kind of food would you compare with that, that 86 season look?
3: The single. Oh, boy, that's a great. one. What would I what, what would I eat it with? Or what would I compare it to?
2: Well, what would you what, if you were going to plan
3: a dinner around it? What would you choose to go? Oh, very. This would go. So the very simple. I would love a very simple grilled lamb chop with this. I think just a, a really nice. So the lamb has game. Flavors, yes. let that happen. Let you know, this the very fruit. fruit brings out the flavor. In the yes. last, I think that would go perfectly.
2: You, you know, and I, you, 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 touched upon a very important thing: is that when you have a, you know, incredible wine like you, you save this wine for so long, and the, the the first thing a lot of people, you customers out think, oh, I have to have a big, big flavor for a thing
3: to go with this, oh. and you overwhelm it. Just the lamb is a perfect combination. Yeah. Just something that's, uh, and you don't want, you don't want a giant, you just want a few lamb chops, Yep, grilled, simple, not over seasoned. Let it, let it, let the wine speak. We're coming to your house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so Rob, I love that story you just told because there, I know enough French to know there's a phrase goût de terroir, right? Goût de terroir, the taste so, of the soil. That was the story you're talking about, digging into the soil, because goo is taste in French. So I'm assuming that yeah. taste of the land, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. And and I and this is what the my European friends, that's what we that's what we talk about, you know, when we're having a glass or two or three or four wines, and we just talk about our vineyards and how we're we're farming at that year, because if you got a tremendous, if you, if, if you get a re, I always say the spring is the most important aspect of, of a vintage, you know, people talk about, Oh, it rained that harvest. Yeah. But if the spring was really good. Then you have balance because it's, during spring is when you have fertilization. And then if you have a lack of it, then you don't have enough fruit to carry balance out the vigor of the vines. And so you're fighting that the whole year. You have a great spring where 16 was one of them. And I knew somebody said, how, how do you know when it's going to be a good wine? By May, I knew it was going to be a great year because it, you had uniformity in all the fruit. You had such balance already set, and the vigor of the vine was in balance with the fruit. And you just saw this harmony just start to exude throughout the whole uh, as it went to the harvest. And then the fun part was the confirmation. I say the tasting, but by the time the fruit comes to the hopper, our job is done. You know, It's you get really great fruit by the time it comes to the hopper. The winemaking is pretty easy after that.
3: You know, Rob, I've, I want to ask you about this. And so I think, and obviously I've done this, but I think a lot of people who are into wine have never been to a vineyard during that time and just had a grape off the vine, a wine grape off the vine to yeah. understand what you're talking about, okay, you know, when you talk about the bricks and and you, you say, okay, where are we in the maturity factor? Yes, it's right. But is it mature or is it overmature? Is it, you know, is it almost rot and all those things? Yes. Where is it in that? And then because I've done that, but also I think it would shock people beyond that to know just how sweet, how sweet a a, a ripe, a, a mature wine grape really is. Yes. Uh, people I mean, think of table grapes and they're not, nothing like that. I mean, you, you think about
2: sweetness and like a Coca-Cola and that's about 7% sugar. Grapes are around 24%. You yeah. know I mean? There's a lot yeah. of sugar there. And so uh, the, the tendency of winemakers, and I think it's kind of human nature, if this is good, you know, then even more is better. You know, if I can kick a 40 yard field goal, well, God, if I can kick a 60, what's even better. <laughs> well, it doesn't always work its way to wine. And so there is a, there is a point where, the, where the balance all of a sudden starts working its way off, and it's not just about tannins. You know, I can see. I was working with some winemakers, you know, because I stopped in and and I stopped by the hopper and I saw. I started pulling off the raisins. Thought I'd help it out. I was pulling off these raisins. What are you doing? I said, Well, um, you don't want this in your, your 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 fermenter, do you? Oh no, no, that adds to the character and you know then they said oh gosh you know our 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 alcohols are uh, i just tasted one recently. it was 15.6 alcohol <laughs> and they're raving about it and i said oh my god you know i and my fr- my my friends from italy i think said it best he said you know rob we love coming to visit your country and tasting your wines but when we sit down for and that's why i asked you um Glenda, you know what? Were you would paraphrase? I said, when we sit down for dinner, we don't think about having one or two glasses. We think about having two or three bottles, yeah. and but we can't we can't do that when the alcohol is so high. And I think that's um it, we learn at UC Davis. You know. Our, uh, I can tell you when I graduated from Davis, I loved, I, I, I knew all the professors well. We had a lot of beers together and they taught me things I'd never learned anywhere else. And then I, then I went to the university of Bordeaux and stayed in the dorms and, and went, uh, study with some of those professors there. And that was a great education too. um, different approach, uh, to wine education, but overall you learn how wine works. You learn what the organoleptic element. you learned that in malolactic fermentation, malic is a double carboxyl group once cleaved off and you get lactic acid and the pH. I mean, all these things, you learn these things. And and when I remember this professor said, Rob, wine is nothing more than a series of oxidations, phosphorylations, and an irreversible decarboxylation of marine. <laughs> well, who's going to drink that? You know? That's their, kind of their mindset. And then they're right. It is. It's a series of oxidations, phosphorylation, and de uh, decarboxylation to get the alcohol. But I think we learned that. But what we really learned, what I learned from Andre, was the art. And I and it was always, God, I, I wish you guys could just walk through sometime with me in the cellist. And you uh, call me doctor, and that's a long story. Doctor, do damn much oak. Too damn much alcohol. It was always too something, too much of, and so I learned to tone that down. And finally, I remember that the seventy nine didn't hit all the numbers that um, we're taught. You know, you want to hit twenty three five bricks. You want you know all the analytical must analysis. We we missed it, you know, and and for good reason because it was it was the nature of the year. And I was feeling well, you know, seventy eight was great, but I'm going to be seventy nine is not going to be as good. In my youth. And then Andre says, My dear, sir, you won't believe how much, how good the 79 will be. The 79 will be one of the best ones you've ever made and it'll age better than the 78. And I go, Whoa. I mean, I, you don't question Andre about that. Really? And then we put the blend together and I jumped out of my socks. I called Andre and when I smelled the wine that was in the tank and I came back and said, Andre, You're absolutely right. The 79 has a balance that goes for all day long. It's just so elegant. There's so much going on and I know it's because being I told you so. I told you so. But sure enough, uh, when we tasted verticals of uh, when the the opened up the older vintages and the 79 just shone so bright. There was so much berry fruit characteristic and it didn't have to be so big and tannic alcohol. It was just gorgeous.
3: Um, you know, you, oh, go ahead. Oh, good, Glenn. You're so you. You said something there about you know Italians drinking like that and wanting several bottles. I it brought to mind a story that. So I, when you talk about Udo Theater, you know. Um, I, I learned that in Oregon with, at uh, at, uh, uh Edson, he grabbed it and stuffed it in my face. Me and my <laughs> wife. He's like, you have to try this. And we were there on a kind of a special deal. And it was like, and it, it was amazing that you did then amazingly taste it. And I wanted to back up something else you said is Robert Mondavi famously. Um, I was, I was around Mondavi a lot from 96, Seven through about 2004 or 5 and it was during that time when we saw that huge change into bigger 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 wines and, I, mm-hmm. and of course Mondavi wasn't and you know the story I'm sure where he had Robert Parker out to the place after the ratings came out and said no sit here and eat and drink with these yes. wines and he adjusted his scores whether he did it because it was Robert Mondavi or whether he did it because he believed it who knows but that's the key is how you view wine. Yes. You were talking about how do you view wine as is, a, is, a, is it a is it a cocktail or is it a lifestyle almost and that to me is is so important. Well, I, I know when um, you know
2: during Lent I would say okay one week you know uh, I won't have wine and I swear I thought I had a cold, and the food didn't taste as good and I'm going God something's wrong I just honey, I know you worked really hard on this, this food, but it's just, it doesn't taste all that great. And all of a sudden lint was over and I had some wine and go, Oh my God, you're much better chef now. And <laughs> it's not, and she's a good chef. But anyway, it's, it's, it's so true. And those elements, and that's why I love tasting wines and I'm constantly thinking, Oh, what am I going to have this with? And yeah. uh, this, this a mushroom risotto would be perfect with this one and um, a grilled chicken with this. And you know, our friend Gordon, Ted, He's the captain of that. He's so good at, I call him, Ted's my friend, is, uh, Gordon Drake, he's the grill master, but he is amazing at coming up with combinations of food with all the wine that we have.
1: So I, I want to I get into that. I want to say one thing because you are the doctor and one thing a doctor does is teach. So I first met Rob. Through Mike Kruko, longtime major league pitcher, longtime broadcaster. I worked with Mike for nine years. And when I first started working with Mike, oh, by the way, I'm making wine in my garage. (laughs) And it was because, Rob, you were the doctor. And we actually, my wife and I actually went, we did a press. We did. It was an incredible experience for us. The only time all in my life I'll ever do it. I'm sure we did the press one year. Mike invited us down to his garage yeah. to physically do that. But that's something, you know, because you're a passionate sports fan, love baseball. How do you start someone like Mike Kruko to say, OK, you want to make some wine? Here's how we do it.
2: Well, my Mike, Mike has a similar passion. I met him in 1985. Right after the season end, and he'd got traded for Joe Morgan, who went to Philadelphia, and he came over, and they just Giants had just lost 100 games. And the following year, Kruko wins 20 games in 86, which was, you know, that's that's a career definer for anybody, any pitcher. And um, but he came to the winery, and you know, we my wife who's an anesthesiologist, and she'd come home from work, and I always figured her work, you know, was is much more critical than mine, you know, she's had people on the <clears throat> table that she has to make sure that they stay alive. She came home, she goes, Oh, how was your day today? And I said, Oh, I had to give a tour of Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. I said, yeah, she stopped by. So I kind of gave her a tour and, you know, it was was just, you know, kind of, I just thought it was going to work, but I mean, she was amazing person, but I wasn't as near as big a fan. And all of a sudden I get this call goes, we got somebody dropped in with her family and says he's some baseball player. Who is it? It's Mike Krucow. Krucow! Oh my God! It went down, and you know, I spent the rest of the day with him, and he was so much fun. Um, such a lively person, so passionate. And so when he, you know, hung up his glove after his last year, and he just said, "It's just taken a while to get." That was before he went back to broadcasting, which I think is just a natural for. Him. But. Um, I said, you know, Crook, you should make your own wine. You're down there in Santa Cruz. There's a uh, central coast there, a uh, San Luis Obispo. And I said, there's some really good vineyards there. And so he called me up and he says, you know what? I'm, we're doing a Pinot Noir. I go, Adam, babe. And um, so he called me up out of the blue from one question to the other. And as soon as he got in the barrel, my God, then the one thing that, he was really good at is checking the wine, maybe a little bit more often. I said, "How no, often have been checking the wine every day. I said, it's so good. And I said, you're going to have nothing left in the barrel. And you keep going this way. But he, he was, he was, he, he was meticulous. And I think that was one of the qualities that group had that made him such a good winemaker. And I tell you what, that first out of the block, I couldn't believe it. I said, you know, you're not supposed to do this with your first wine, you're supposed to make some mistakes, but it, that Pinot Noir was... And then I found out where where the fruit he got was probably one of the best Pinot Noirs in that area.
1: That's what I was going to ask. Did you help him get the fruit? I, I,
2: I told him that where where he could probably get the better fruit and then Kruko with his charm, bingo. Uh, yeah. In fact, sadly, after... He that vintage, uh he wasn't able to get any more fruit because it was became so good and so popular they ended their home winemaking uh uh program there and ended up going where the money was. But um uh, but oh, anyway, right. it was it was it was it, i still got one bottle, a Toffel I think it was called and uh yes. but it's it's it he hit it. He hit the he hit a home run.
1: So could you be the doctor to Glenn if Glenn said, I want to make my own wine in my garage in Tucson. What
2: do you think, Glenn? Me? Uh, well, I think Glenn's. I've already heard. Of him. I don't think he needs any help. I think he's figured out just what you need to know. But I love. I love working with people. I'm working in a vineyard right now that in over in in Napa on Oakville Grade and. Um, you know, we, he's got a fair amount of money and which is good because you need some. And he says, he says, Hey, uh, a dear friend of mine said that you're one winemaker that really is really knows the vineyard. And I said, yeah, I'll come take a look. And I walked through and I spent the morning and I came back and I said, I don't think you want to hear what I have to say, you know, cause you don't want to tell somebody like, boy, your baby's really ugly. You know, it's just like, Oh, your baby's gorgeous. So what I said, your vineyard manager doesn't know what he's doing, you know. The, the overcrop, got the wrong pruning, blah blah blah. Went down the line. He says, "Oh, okay." And then he called me from line. He goes, "Rob, I'm putting you in charge of the vineyard." And so I said, "Done." And I did some soil studies and changed everything around. And this last year, he's just what do you think? I said. I think it's the best fruit I've ever tasted. It's so good. So I got it. I got it. He gave me some fruit to make wine from, which I'm sure I'm going to give him back and you're going to get some too. But it's my wife's going, oh, this smells great. And so the, 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 finer points of wine making, you know, the technical parts, I'm, I love sharing with, you know, Glenn or Ted or, or, or Adam, any of you, um, but once you get the fruit, it's it's pretty easy after that, you know. It's is you 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 match up the kind of the fruit concentration with the type of oak you want to use. I think the key for what I learned from Andre is that you just don't overdo it. And just here in Glen, I think he's spot on, gonna be a great winemaker. I'm not saying I'm just saying, I think you're you're, you hit all the points that are that are
3: so necessary and making great wine. And Rob, I was so close, I was actually in the process at one point. Um, uh, right when I as I was getting out of the NFL, uh, I had started looking into contracts and winemakers, and I was very close. And believe it or not, then NBC came calling and said, We want you to do this, this, and this. And I thought, you know, I know the rule. Um, I'd rather have somebody else pay me than me spend my money. (laughs) So I was like, I'm at a point where I have, I have two young children under the age of, uh, I have a, a seven year old and a five year old and twins on the way that I don't think I need to be risking money at this point. And it's probably the worst decision I ever made in my life, but probably, but might have been the best. Who knows? You can't look back. So, yeah, I was very close at one point and I think I'm going to go right back to that point again yeah. once my kids are done with college, a much smaller scale. But I'm going to be calling you because I have, I know what I want to do. And you're one of the few winemakers I ever talked to since I kind of left or got as far, not I shouldn't say since I left being involved in the 20 something years that is much more aligned with my way of thinking than, than yeah. so many others I talked to. Like, oh, thank, you. thank you. I, mean, I, 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 I hear I feel
2: Andre's beat all day long, you know, I mean, and that's, you know, you spend 18 years, the travel that I did throughout Europe with him in particular, and then everything, just every, all our conversations, tasting with him. And, you know, you really, if you don't understand what he's talking about, then you're not listening. But, um, but he, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a craft that, <sighs> I think, again, the hardest thing about winemaking is your, your tendency wanting to overdo it, you know. And so, oh, my God, this oak is great. I'm going to go all 100% new oak and I'll take it out when it's just, you know, when it's it's pretty much an over over oak thing type of thing. And and that's one of the things that I, I appreciate working with Tom Jordan is that he did not like a lot of oak. He liked a lot of fruit. And so when we did the very beginning, and again, I was 22, just barely turned 22 when I started Jordan. And, and and here's this guy come along and says, you know, I want to make a Cabernet that, that is comparable to the great gross, you know, the five great gross in Bordeaux. And I think, well, that's, that's a little bit of Uber there, you know, I mean, right off the bat, you, you don't have real experience and you come into Alexander Valley, but, um, but then he hired Andre and we, we got, a, it was a tasting, I'll never forget. But we tasted every single first growth. All together, uh, you know, we had Mouton, we had Cheval Blanc, we had Petrus, we had, um, uh, you know, well, and then of course Lafitte, uh, Latour. And Tom picked out Lafitte. And I, I just this day I can taste it and say, I'd like this wine here. And I said, Tom, you like the Lafitte because it, it's the most fruit. It's not like a Tour, big tannic, you know, a lot of shoulders, and muscular. It's the most easy to drink. And he said, that's the kind of one I want to make. I, my market is going to be restaurants. And when you go to a restaurant, nobody says, hey, I'm going to be back in 10 years when the steak is ready. You want to, you want to get ready to go. And so and I've heard this over. I, mean, I overhear people. Oh, my God, this wine. Hmm. They, they don't even drink it because it's just not the match for the type of food. And that's what Tom wanted to do was make, make a wine that was very f- food friendly. And I think the mistake that Parker made with Jordan, I mean, the, when he wrote the description on Jordan, I think he'd write the back labels. It was just pure, pure poetry. Love the fruit, love the elegance, love the balance. And then he would award like 98 points to wine that he said, and I got the, I have sh- I showed this to you, Tim, but he says, this wine has no no. It's so tannic, it's boatload of tannins. Not going to age, uh, not going to be drinkable for another twenty years. You know, ninety-eight points of wine. You know, what's the fun in that? So, um, you know, Tom said, "I don't think Parker likes it. No, he loves, he loves the Jordan. He just, uh, it just doesn't fit into his type of wheelhouse. So, uh, um, anyway, but that's uh, that those type of that type of winemaking that Tom wanted us to do fit perfectly in with what Andre his background and it was, that's I, I learned how to balance wines particularly at the hands of andre all right
1: one more one more um baseball hook you have you i mean so many baseballers have come into wine you know richard really who we had on our on wines early. um uh, i think someone people might be surprised if they found that has become a very much a wine aficionado and a good friend of yours is bruce bocci
2: Oh my gosh, Bruce is the best. I, I still talk to him. Um, one of the treasure memories I have was this is before he won any World Series, but <clears throat> he comes come to the I invite him to the winery and he'd show up and, and he loved bass fishing. He's just a I got a great picture of him holding this big bass. Uh, seven in the morning he catches this thing. That woke me up. But he loved bass fishing. So that was one of the draws of getting up to Jordan, but he loves wine. And so we're and I say this very affectionately, but you know, we're taught in fact that all these great wines we're tasting like the ones we have here, I always have a spit cup, you know, because just that's habit. And, you know, I'm tasting wines from morning, noon and night and you can't even with <laughs> subliminal absorption, you'd be affected, but I'm always spitting out. So, you know, I just will and then, you know, spitting the cup. Well, <laughs> Bruce looked at me, he goes, what's the cup for? And he goes, I don't think you're going to need a Bruce. And so <laughs> he would, I would pour him a big glass and then he, he drained the whole thing down. He was, Oh, that was really good, Rob. And then we'd go on to the next tank and I just, I had so much fun with Bruce and, um, and just, I mean, such a person that really just enjoyed wine because he likes it. And so, my special memory of Bruce uh, was in nineteen or two thousand fourteen. And and they were he was of course in San Francisco for the uh, for the um, parade for the World Series parade that he won. And so, my wife, who's a big fan too, and we went down there and we were staying overnight to get up early morning to go to the parade. And so, we went to this restaurant. And normally, I don't, you know, I don't know how you guys with cell phones, but I normally shut it off when I go to a restaurant because I think it's somebody's ringing and I don't want to hear it. But my daughter was flying into San Francisco from Indianapolis, I think, and giving a seminar. And so I said, Hey, honey, when you get in, just let, text me and let me know you're in. So I all of a sudden, you know, this is the night before the parade, mind you. And I get this boop, 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 and I go, my. My wife says, oh, "You're not going to answer that, are you?" Goes, no, it might be Andre. It's Bruce Bochy, and he goes, "Rob, we're having your 2000, uh, 2010 Jordan Cabernet. You should. You got a lot to be proud of." And I'm going, "Me? <laughs> you just won the World Series!" And I it just, it just touched me so that he would take the time to text me and tell me how much he's joined the wine. And you know, Bruce is just, he's just got so much heart and. Uh, God, those, you know, Ted. You know how I I bled for those damn that damn team for over and over. And when they lost in two thousand two, when they were this close, and I, I I I just I said, that's it. I'm not going to watch this team. Well, then spring training comes around. Of course, it's. Renewal. Hey,
3: Rob, I understand getting that close. Uh, yes. I've done it quite a few times, so I don't know if you know my my background, but I've lost five Super yes. Bowls. So. Oh, yeah. well, when you uh,
2: win the first one, it's it's
3: <laughs> you forget the other ones, don't you, I don't have a chance anymore. So. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>, okay. <laughs> but that's okay. I was part of five. I, you know, it, the thing is, um, too many times people look at, at the, it'd be, like, it'd be like becoming runner up to the wine of the year. Yeah. You still have a pretty darn good year there, right? And think of all the wines that would like to be where you were. So you know, it's a it's a chance. Of, it's a when you're that close. So just my way of interjecting a little fun on the football side to your story. So I yeah. I, I, used, I, yeah, Rob, I
1: worked with Glenn all these years in football, and he cringed every time a kicker ran on the field. <laughs> he just, um. <laughs> but um, I got to tell you, what what you're saying, what Glenn is saying, is 100 percent right. And because Rob will understand this analogy, um, I was worked as a young kid for the Oakland A's and they had a pitcher lose 20 games. And it was a long, long time until another pitcher, I think it might have been 20 plus years until another major league pitcher lost 20 games in a season. But I remember Billy Martin, who was the manager of that team in 1980, saying, You gotta be damn good to lose 20 games because no one will yeah. give you the ball. No one will give you the ball often enough. Lose seriously, no one will start you often enough to lose twenty unless you have something going for you. Yeah. Yes, right? I mean, it's kind of a back it's kind of a backwards way of looking at it, but nobody gets to five Super Bowls unless
3: you're damn good, Glenn. We know. There, there you go. Yeah, I was a part of five five damn good teams. Yeah. We're just uh, I, good
2: enough. You guys are touching on an important point for my profession in particular because You know, I, 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 I I always say, you know, why is Jordan so good? Because I put, I put a lot of love into it, but when you get the feedback from the consumers saying, Oh my God, I named my daughter or my son Jordan, because I love the wine so much. I mean, I have, I have a file this thick of what I call the Jordan babies. And I remember the thing of what we, the thing, what we, the winemakers, we were always focused on that vintage, but we don't realize all of a sudden, oh my God, 40 vintages just, just went by. So I'm going back to this file and I'm seeing this one that I wrote a letter, and the father wrote to me this really sweet letter. My daughter just got born. I named him Jordan because I love your wine so much. And, and I just want you to know that. And all of a sudden, oh my God, they're 21 years old. What <laughs> happened? And so I sent a bottle of the 76 because that was the birth of the year to the daughter saying, your dad sent me this special note, and I just remembered it. Here it is, and I just want to send it. The, the note I got back from her, literally, you could see the tears on the letter. And these are the things that go on. It's, it's, this, I think, what's partly missed at UC Davis is is the emotional aspect of it. The poetry, as we like to say, but the feeling, that, the emotion that people get when they have a glass of wine. And... You know, all three of you talk about your experiences with, you know, in this case, the Inglenook, but I can smell that wine through the computer here, you know, because I I know I'm familiar with the vineyard and I, I know what Glenn's smelling right now. And those emotions, it's not about, some organic acid going, you know, being cleaved into another organic acid. It is about the emotions that go into it, the expression, who you're with and how beautiful it is. And I, I remember this one guy called me up and he said, Oh Rob, you know, I I If the wine that I had was just awful. It's thinking awful vintage. And I said, no, it's not. That was a pretty good vintage. And I said, so tell me about the experience. And he said, well, you know, I was sitting at a restaurant, you know, my wife showed up and then we started having a glass of wine and we got in a big argument. And I said, oh, well, you don't suppose the argument might have tainted the, the quality of the wine. Oh, you know, maybe you're right. I said, I'm going to send you another bottle. When you're back with your wife and everything's going well, let me know. And he calls me. I goes, God, Rob, what a difference. That wine was wonderful. And, you know, we forget that how emotions affect, you know, our, our experience. And hopefully it's always good. But I giggle and I just I, I just makes my heart pitter patter when somebody comes to me and goes, gosh, Rob, I'm getting blackberries out of this i'm getting cassis i'm getting this kind of cedar i mean but this wine just blows me away and in getting back to cruco you know he doesn't go into essential poetry goes this wine is awesome and i you know how cruco is and i'm going thank you you know and aims for the fences and clears it easily you know those kind of uh, baseball uh, acronyms but that's what, that's, I think, the best thing you could say to somebody in the profession, just say, wow, that wine just makes my day. And all those, all those late nights, lost sleep, whatever, worrying, forgotten.
3: Rob, you just told a story that is, that is, is I've- I think I've said it once on this broadcast and it's about the the emotional qualities of wine um, I had a friend who came to me and, I, and I've actually told this story came to me and said you know I had a wine from one of the wineries well a sister wine you remember when Robert Madavi had La Familia uh, going up in the foothills uh, up in the um, the western uh, yep. mountains yep. and they said you know we went and we, we had a nice wine there and uh, we sat outside on a table and we brought some home and it just wasn't well, tell me about it again. Well, it was, it was my wife and I were on an anniversary trip and we sat outside of this wonderful table. It was just stunning overlooking the valley. And I said, so if you recreate that experience, the wine is going to be just as good again. It's, it's the location, the emotions of the wine are every bit as important to the enjoyment of the wine, as you probably, when did you have it at home? Oh, I got home from work and just opened up a bottle and sat down. I'm like, well, there you go. <laughs> you weren't at a table overlooking the valley with your wife on your anniversary. <laughs> you know, I said it's it's part of it. It's it's you know all yeah. part of enjoying the wine.
2: You, you touched upon something that I my wife doesn't like me to talk too much about her, but I, I she's wonderful and she would get home sometimes earlier than I did and she would grab a bottle of wine out of my cellar and you know, not knowing what was the really good one. And you know, what was every day and she grabbed an 82 O'Brien and she didn't know what it was. And she went up <laughs> on the Hill and she's drinking this stuff. And I come up and I going, it's so Wednesday and I said, Oh, honey, do you realize what you're drinking? She goes, well, it sure is good. And I said, well, give me some of that. <laughs> and it was one of my best memories. I said, you know, I could have shared this with a nice dinner with my friends and I wouldn't have gotten any of it and just sitting there for a regular Wednesday, having a really nice bottle of wine with my sweetie pie. And that's a memory I won't forget. And that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's, I think that's so key. And this is, I think, touch upon from you consumers that uh, myself included what Andre really focused most on the aroma was what he called the smile. You know, of course, Andre was put things in terms of, I mean, it was a single person at the time, but uh, if a woman smiles on you and then you're drawn to that and that's the aroma that gets your attention. And he says, you know, then the palate is the confirmation of what you smell. And he says, but the most important aspects of wine is the finish. He said, that's the memory. And he said, so, uh, one of my friends, Paolo De Marchi of, uh, Isla Olena, gave me a bottle and he's done, he's made some great, great wines. He gives me this bottle of wine after I told him this story. And I said, I don't even say anything. And he goes, yeah, I saw the expression on your face. And he goes, I call this Il Gato. And I said, Oh, the cat. And he goes, yes. He says, you know, I called the El Gato because you go into a room, the cat comes up and sits on your lap and it purrs and you stroke and It's nice and soft and furry. And you're it's summertime, so you're wearing shorts. And all of a sudden it sees a, a mouse in the room and it digs its claws into you and it takes off. And he says, now, what do you m- remember most about that cat? Not the purring, not the soft, it's your bleeding thigh. And he says, that's why I call it El Gato because you notice the cat's claw, the cat's claw and the finish of that wine. He says, drink, cause I can't sell it. Nobody wants it. They get the cat's claw and they, you know, that's the last thing I remember. So the memory of a wine, I think is one of the things that as artists, we work a lot is that, that final finish. And that's one of the things Andre really, really spent so much time working with me, that final finish, the memory of the wine and, um, and I'm not sure if a 15 and a half alcohol or six and alcohol cabernet gives you that, then you then you achieve what you need to. But I think what we're talking about, we started is the balance of the wine and attributing to that finish the wine where it's like, I want to have another glass.
1: And that that is a home run. I, I've got to laugh because you're telling the, the cat's claw story. What would you say? I was blessed because we're on obviously we do a little blend here of wine and sports. Tom Seaver was my hero growing up and I worked with him and he became I became friendly with him. The one experience I had, Glenn, with your story, physically holding a grape in my hand was in Tom Stever's yep. vineyard. Because that's yep. what Tom did. But I'm laughing because what would he say if the, if you opened a bottle <laughs> and you tasted it was the Cat's Claw, Rob? What would you say about that bottle? How would you describe <laughs> it?
2: Oh, how the tap! Well, because you're tasting. I mean, if you can't, t- you can't sell it. It's like not a great wine. what you're tasting is really what we talk about: a lack of balance. You're tasting tannins that were picked only for the virtue of structure sure. and yeah. not for the yeah. elegance. And that's that's. I mean, I can go all day long on what happens in
1: the aging in the barrels and why that kind of can soften up. But if, but what, Tom, if what Tom would say, he would laugh. He go the nice way. Says it, ah, it probably pours well. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, that's exactly that's, the poor as well. That's that was the one of my professors, because we all made horrible wines when we first started out. Of course, he would taste them all. My my professor, uh, Denny Webb, and just the nicest guy in the world. And there was one wine that came up. We're all there. And it just frankly was undrinkable. And I'll, I'll just I'll, I, this is my favorite story. You talked about an Andre story is real quick. I. You know, here's Andre, you know, I mean, again, 55 years my senior, I could not keep up with him. He had so much energy. He was first swing up in the morning and um, tasting till two in the two in the morning and then back up at 6am. And we, we went three weeks, chateau after chateau, tasting all these wines. And finally, I mean, I was exhausted and I, my, my palate was shot. I couldn't taste anymore. We got to the last winery. It was in Chateau de the pop and he was a negociant, And so, he said, oh, Andre, I have 30 barrels for you to taste. I'm going, whoa, 30 barrels. And so we went through them all, and I thought, okay, the trip's over. I'm done. I can go home and relax. And so we get to the tasting room, and Andre says, what's this barrel by itself over here? And the the owner, winemaker, says, oh, my gosh, Andre, yes, this barrel he's you know, I'm a negotiant. I buy other people's wines and blend it and age it and bottle it. But this wine I made by myself, I picked the fruit, I crushed it, I pressed it. And now it's in this barrel and I want you to taste it. And so, um, we talked about appreciation of the consumers and all these things. So Andre, well, the doctor has to taste it too. And I'm going, well, no, that's okay. No, no, you have to taste it. So we, we smelled it. And this is all the things that we learned at Davis and sensor evaluation. We're not what A wine should taste like is what a wine should not taste like we learned all the defects of a wine vinegar acetic acid ethyl acetate um aldehydes i mean h2 i mean all the things that we knew structurally what they were and all this wine had them all i mean it was how can a wine be oxidized and reduced it smells like rotten eggs it smells like vinegar and so i looked over to andre and of course he had the comment on the wine he says Look, look how God's light touches this, this beautifully. This wine it looks like ruby lips. And he goes on about it, going, Oh my God, that's not what I remember about this wine. And so finally, I walked over to him after his course. The guy's buttons are just popping off because he's so proud. He's the guy who crafted this wine. And so Andre's hiding behind the tank, and I go, Andre, I something wrong with me. I, I I can't, this wine just smells awful. I get hydrogen sulfide, I get aldehyde, I get ethyl acetate, I get this and that. And he goes, Yes, I know. And I said, what do you mean? But you said all those nice things about him. He says, Rob, when I smelled that wine, I realized this was a wine looking for a friend. So at now I realize I can't say anything bad about a wine because it didn't agree with me. But it's a wine looking for a friend. So <laughs> that's a, that's kind of the that's not quite the cat's claw. But sometimes you get those wines that they're looking
1: for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Rob, what was the moment? Because I'm sure, you know, Glenn, you had it. I think every athlete has it. The moment you realized, for example, Glenn, that you could play in the NFL. There had to be... I always ask this question of athletes. What was the moment, Rob, you knew you could do this? Like the, the first wine you made at Jordan where you said, okay, well, I can do
2: this. I never had that feeling. I, I mean, honestly, I, I never felt that I reached a pro. I mean, there was... When I started out, there were 224 wineries in all of California. And Now there's over 3,500, so there's a lot of good winemakers out there. And I and I think one of the things that I learned through Andre he, to me, Andre was the best you could find. I mean, he had the experience that he had working in, in at the Pasteur Institute. You know, and work. If you thought that he was famous in California with the people that he um, consulted for. He was a god in, in in france and in fact in italy um gelasio uh gelasio is the winemaker at, at or Onalaya told me the story where andre showed up did the same thing smelled it and he said merlot and they said no 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 andre we're planting cabernet no 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 it's merlot and so he said, I, I picked up Andre to take him to the airport to fly back home. And I saw on our vineyard map where it said Cabernet is all struck out, said Merlot. And then of course, or let considered one of the great Merlots of the world. And um, so working with someone like that, Andre at his 90th birthday, I'd never seen somebody so humble, you know, as accomplishments. I mean, he could crow all day long about what he did, but he was so humble. And he said, you know, we're farmers, Rob, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good Lord that we're, that's managing this. He said, e, yeah, I, and that's what I think he says, your ego will always get you making bad wine. Well, if you, you're going down the road your ego will, will shift you into making, uh, decisions that you shouldn't be making, uh, it says you've got to be humble in this business. And I think, um, that's what I, that's why I've always appreciated about Andre is that you know how could be the greatest person in the world but just so humble, and I, I think about that and I'm thinking in terms of you know this will be this was my 45th harvest and I uh, 46 harvest and I think I'm still learning and I and the, and that be with this fruit that I was with Oakville I mean I was just having the time of life <clears throat> and this guy says Rob I got to pay you you know I, I mean you've done wonders for my vineyard no no. Nope. This, I don't want to be paid. This is therapy for me. I just love doing this. And, um, but anytime I think you get pretty much fully yourself, um, mother nature comes along, slaps you on the backside and reminds you who's in charge. And so that's, that's where I think I'm, I think one of the things that I love most about the business is, and what I'm doing now is constantly learning how to be better. What I'm doing, and and that's, uh, I don't think I've, I'll ever hit that. I mean, 16 was when I thought, my God, the fruit just came in, just really nice. But I don't credit as much the being. I did change the oak regime on this because French oak. We used to be half French oak, half American, and I convinced the Georges to go all oh, French oak because of the fruit we were getting worked so well with it. And I remember asking Andre because you know all those great BB Vineyard Reserves he made all those years. And I said, "God, Andrea, you just chose American Oak. And, uh, but you're French. And he goes, you know why I used American Oak? And I said, because they're, they're great wines. And he goes, no, the owners were too damn cheap. Well, that was true. French Oak was like three times the cost of American Oak. And, uh, <clears throat> You know, always, I think you know, in terms of and that, and one of the things that uh, Bernard Porte said, Yeah, I don't like American Oak, it masks the fruit, it doesn't integrate. And that's one of the things that Andre taught me is you know, I, I he, he did not like the American Oak we were using for the Jordan, so we moved out of it to uh, to all 100% French Oak.
1: Um, I just have to follow up. I want to get into your your athletic feats, your own athletic feats in a second. But just on that same thing, you referenced someone earlier. One of my college roommates bought a house in about a mile from where you were living years back. And I said, well, you have to meet this friend of mine, Rob Davis. You turned out, he decided, and he had the means to do this. What We were talking about Glenn with Glenn. He decided yeah. to start making wine. And you became his, you know, you were Tom Hagen, as I use my my godfather reference. You were the conciliator. And And the fact, I mean, it was amazing that you shared your expertise. And and I think it's interesting for anybody watching to think, you know, you actually, if you have the means, as you touched on Glenn, you, know, you can do it too, but you need to have the doctor. Yeah, and I, and I, Selena, I, I right?
2: love sharing what I've learned over the years, and, and my, my the skills that I've learned through Andre, through other people, and and to see the returns on the wine, and how much they get better. And, and of course, Gord is a special person. He's he just doesn't want to make the wine. you got to have the jazz going on. He's got the music going on. He, he creates playlists for that morning that he's racking. And, and I've I'm, I'm never seen Gordon with us.
1: I've never seen him frown. He's always... You know, like, he's all in. That's that's the other thing. I mean, you, you have to be all... And he, Gordon, oh yeah. was all in on this. And, right? But he's
2: a good taster. And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, this is lacking acid, Gordon. He goes, what? I said, yeah, let me just... So I went the Jordan at the time when I was there and the made up bench samples for them. And I said, okay, I want you to taste which one you like the best. And Gordon went right to the one that I just so happened to like myself. And he says, I said, Gordon, this, and, this one, why you have to do a little acid adjustment on because you see how the fruit comes out." He goes, Oh no, no, I love the bell. And mean, taste wise, he, he nailed it. And, uh, I think, I was just a little vehicle, just kind of guiding said, okay, once you try this, but taste wise, he could, he knew just what to where to, he knew where to take the direction of the winemaking uh, with his partner. So it worked out well just, and you know what, the, when I, I remember when the fruit first came on and I just started digging my hands into the macro bands, you know, getting the juice all over you and, and the fruit. And I mean, I, I was, like I said, I was in heaven and Gordon goes, what are you doing? I go, you got to get close to the fruit. So he's there digging away. And then of course his wife comes out to and goes, Garden, what you doing? You're supposed to be ready for dinner. You gave me go like that. I'm going, yeah, you got to do this on your own. So anyway, <laughs> but that was fun. It's just see the, see the ephemeral responses. Um, from you know, little suggestions I might make. That was fun,
3: but I love Bob. You're bringing in emotion. I love that. That he constantly, you always are referring back to emotion when it comes to wine. I think he, that that's such a key. Yeah, you can't. You can't if you remove the emotions, and this is kind of what I saw at Davis.
2: You remove the emotions from it, and the charm's gone. You know, it's 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 it's, it's not a medium to measure. It's a medium to enjoy. And I think that that's so important in the winemaking. And I I, and that's why I want to continue being a winemaker. Some of my friends retired and said, oh, I, I can't keep doing it. And I said, why? I do not want a miss a harvest. The smell my wife just can't wait the end of the morning. Can I punch down? Can I punch down? Cause she, cause she sees now what I love so much about a harvest that smells yes. and it's just, and the feeling and punching it down and then getting the you know, mass of juice all over you. I mean, it's, I guess I always told the Jordan, I said, I do this for nothing. You know, and Tom, being the the financial manager, is you know Rob, we could work that out for you. And I said, no, I need I need I need the paycheck. But it's really true. I I do it for nothing, and it's just so much fun. And I and I always said this is that you know Adam Glenn Ted is that there's somebody some multi billionaire sitting in Wall Street looking out the window at harvest time, thinking, damn it, I should have been a winemaker, you know, because. You know, just punching punching numbers is one thing, but making wine—I mean, it's—and glad I'm so glad when you're at Madavi. I mean, you that that the, the, the smells
3: of harvest in the fermentation room as priceless. And Rob, I don't know if any winemaker ever has said, "I wish I'd have been a stockbroker in New York."
1: <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> Good talk, hey, hey Rob as we wind down on this, so tell me, cause despite the, you know, it's, it's a nonstop process to do what you do. You love so much. You found a way to become a pretty darn good endurance athlete, triathlons, no, I, marathons. and you're still I, I, and know, you're still
2: going. I mean, and, uh, there's something, I remember when I did the first Ironman many years ago and it was close to harvest. I could smell the dry grass. I could, I could just, the, the amount of things I could smell when I was running, um, I always had a smile. I just couldn't wipe it off. It was great. And yeah, the swim, I did the last one. My last one was in Santa Cruz and word my wife's crazy because she thought I was going to drown or something, but it was in the ocean. And so you swim out and, you know, some of the swims, you can always see the swimmer, but you go out, nobody can see you and you just hope they come back. That was, I mean, the bee in the ocean swimming. I did Al- Alcatraz one time, which was probably one of the best swims I enjoyed. Just so much fun. But yeah, it's it's uh, the, the biking is most rarely. In fact, I don't even know if there's a triathlon. This is an ugly area. Normally, it's a really beautiful piece of just wonderful piece of nature. But but I also feel that it helps me get through harvest because you know I I, I remember one night you know when my we're, we, I think first year we were married and, um, all of a sudden, you know, I got up and went in the morning and she goes, where are you going? I said, well, I got fruit coming in and then she goes, well, you just got home. And I said, yeah. And she goes, you haven't slept in weeks. And I said, I know, but I love it. And she goes, I've done residency before and I didn't get much sleep, but you're getting much sleep, less sleep than I did. And I said, well, hope you enjoy residency as much. As I enjoy wine making, but, but that's the fun of it. And then the, the things that I wish I could tell you if we had time, but what, you, what the consumer of wine doesn't get the see in the production is a lot. What goes on at night. Because now, and Senators are getting into the late 90s, early uh, 2000, and I, just taste-wise, I realized that white fruit did so much better coming in at night than during the day. And you see these winemakers experimenting on whole cluster pressing thinking that's the key to making great Chardonnay, but it would be 105 degrees outside and the fruit esters, everything else was just falling apart. So I uh, came up with the design and, and worked with the growers. I, said, I want you to pick at night. I'll pay you more for it. It turns out that the pickers first didn't like it because they don't like any kind of change, but then it turns out that, they were making, they were picking 20% more fruit in the same hours. Why? Because it's not hundred degrees outside, it's 55. So become more popular. Now today, if you drive by vineyards, pretty much you see them, they're not abandoned. They're just everybody's sleeping during the day because almost all fruit now is picked at night. But I love it because you're out with the growers, you're out in the field, the picking's going on and you're sitting Sitting by, you know, the, the growers uh, that are just, uh, they're like, they're, they're family. They're my family. And I know them so well that I've done, uh, you know, special salutes to the kids, seeing them growing up. Oh, Uncle Rob, we want Uncle Rob to be here, you know, for my graduation. And it, that means so much to me. But those kind of relationships happen at night. And so I'll be seeing them sitting there what are you doing here? And I said, it's two in the morning. And I said, no, I want to be here. And, and I'll smell the fruit. Goes, oh my God, this is going to be a good harvest. And they get, I mean, that's the payback they get that I get from consumers. When they taste the wine, they hear the winemaker relish in what they've done all year long in the field. And that, that means so much to them. And I, and I, I, I love being there, but, um, you need, the, you need endurance to get through that. I and mean, it's, you know, it's, six to eight weeks of seven days a week, you know, working around the clock. And a lot of times I have my sleeping bag and I'll throw it in the hill and, and just get a quick cat nap before the next fruit comes in. And that those triathlon training absolutely is my preparation for harvest, and so uh, it's not just the of running and swimming and biking or like all that, but it does keep me in good physical shape to be able to get through a good harvest. And, and the hours that I would work, and and uh, I, I, I attribute that a lot to my training regime. Yeah, and Ted, Ted, you know, he's being humble. He didn't say that he did the one of the marathons he did. He was training for for the New York Marathon, but we were in Chicago, and after a late night with Kruko which he is he's he can embody a bit and I got a date with Ted early in the morning and I'm waking up going oh God, that's right. I was gonna join Ted and we take off like man running along because he says I'm, I'm training for the New York Marathon well I, you know most people can't do five miles we're doing like 10 and we finish up and and we just had I never forget that you know, I had one of my my most fun runs uh, running with you Ted
1: gosh I, re- I remember that I can 10. The night, the morning you know, we after. The wow. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Those was, days. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, the last thing I remember was leaving Kruko because six foot four and he was in some bar and I said, see you later. You know? <laughs> There's no one I can say I him, but yeah, that was fun. But yeah, I mean, the. Uh,
3: um, See, Kruko I, does the type of triathlon, Ironman, endurance thing I want to do. You guys. That yeah. runoff, <laughs> man. There I'm, are, I'm a sprinter. Us athletes, as professional guys like Kruko, we can go all night in another way. We'd rather be at that bar all night. No, fun. There, there, there are,
2: and I've done these endurance events that have at aid stations, particularly in the Harvest, they have one. Well, there you and go. If you see pictures of the early um, so, some of the this is some of the routes that they would take in France, you know that, that um, and th- you'll see them. On a resting, drinking, a, you know, bottle of wine, you know, before they go on, do another fifty miles or something. So, but but here certainly in the valley, I remember uh, my daughter uh, signed up to do one. I said, Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do one with you. And so we were running along, and we got to mile six, and Sauvignon Blanc, or would you like some Cabernet? All right, Sauvignon Blanc. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the way to go. So so they're not all they're all just all Gatorade. It's um, it's some good stuff.
3: There you go.
1: Well, listen, Rob, Rob, I am so happy. First of all, I'm so happy that you and Glenn could connect this way um, because we need to do this again. So I've had this idea over the hour we've been talking that I'm going to impose on our friend Adam. We need to take we need to have an outside the box roadshow. And I think that I have an idea for a perfect deck with a couple of girls in Cloverdale, Rob, that might get, oh, might get a nice sight about a mile from your house. Yeah, and we, we could, could all Gordon convene it. Because he probably has one of the best views
2: of the vineyard of that area. Plus, I guarantee you, no one, and I mean no one without exception, leaves Gordon's without a big smile on their face. Uh, he is. He is the fact right. that I found that he was your roommate in Notre Dame. I, Notre Dame, I should say, the way they pronounce it. Um, no, no, when I say Notre Dame. It's very I, stuck uh, up. So like, the fact that you graduated, Ted, is is a, is a testament to your your intellect, so aptitude. Because if I if I went if I had four years with Gordon, I would still be there. <laughs> he, is, he is a party kind of guy; he's just a lot of fun. But yeah, the two of you that was a great great um, combination. But yeah, that would that's. Fun.
1: We'll ch- I will channel. That's I'm going to channel true. Kruko. And uh, and and say that uh, say that and no one knows who we're talking about, but it's Gordon Drake, my my roommate from college. Gordon conquered the fear of having fun oh, absolutely, and early yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: and that's is so don't good. you all find that wine attracts fun people? I mean, it's it's you're it's it's a fraternity, and there might be that one odd person that is such a geek that you know, checking his stock bonds or whatever while he's having a glass. But most people I know it's, you have a glass of wine, you share it with people. It's coming from the heart.
3: That's that's absolutely Rob. Absolutely, Rob. I've 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 enjoyed getting to know you a little bit here, so much more. I hope we get to do this road trip. I can't wait to actually sit down and talk with you, meet you, and and uh, hopefully I'll get out the chance to come out to Jordan. I'd love to see it. Well,
2: I'll bring out my 60, 61 Lafitte's, You know, those should be showing well by now. So. Yeah,
3: they might. Yeah. <laughs> no, this <laughs> is
2: a treat, and, I, and just for every. I mean, not everybody has. And this was such a treat to have the sixty six. But I wanted. I said I have to. I have to show this bottle and the contents. Look at the little tartarates in there. Oh. And it was marvelous. It was just marvelous, and not just me. Everybody was just. And they had Bernard Borté said, "Wow, this is the way wine should taste." And and fifty five years old and still showing well. So, you know whether it's two days old or fifty five years old, wine has a has it has a characteristic that that. I think mirrors the age. And so when it's young, it's fruity, it's lively. God, I wish I was that way at 16 now. I remember those life videos. But then as they age, they get maturity and they got breeding. They're all good years.
3: Well, you know, Rob, you just said it. Uh, wine is, is a perfect metaphor for life. You know, when you meet an older person, it doesn't mean that they weren't. Full of fruit and 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 exciting and younger and as you meet them they're still got great stories to tell and you can enjoy them and yeah people who don't like old wines I don't get it it's just like not liking not like in, it's like not enjoying talking to your grandfather for some reason oh Enjoy talking, talking to your grandfather that's a, that's a
2: great analogy yeah because get him to open up at Christmas time get him on. He's, you know, you're on his lap, and he's telling one story after the other, and you learn things that you just wouldn't learn elsewhere. So yeah, Andre was my grandfather in a lot of ways, uh, so many ways. But you're right, that's uh, so much to learn, so much to enjoy.
1: Thank you so much, all. This was. This was. Go to your wine purveyor. Just find any vintage Jordan Cabernet. (laughs) It's brilliant. Thank you very much. Rob, thank you. Rob, thank
2: you so much. All right. pleasure,
1: Mike. All right, Cheers,
2: everybody.
3: Thank you. Cheers, Rob. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Outside the Vines. Remember to check out our YouTube channel to get more out of your experience with the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back on our next episode soon. This has been a presentation of Outside the Vines. For the love of wine and the thirst for sports.